get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Uh-huh. Let me score! Out of the corner, David Perron gets it to the front of the net, and it goes in off Talbot, and the Blues have taken a 1-0 lead. Tyroo cuts it back on the near side, works it to the goal, backhands in front, they score! The Blues feed it right in front on an amazing move by Jordan Cairo. They get it back, he shoots, he scores! Cairo with two! And he's putting on a show in the old ballpark tonight. The shot blocked, the horn sounds. And bring out the Zamboni and Target Field tonight. The St. Louis Blues beat the Minnesota Wild 6-4 in the Winter Classic and overtake Nashville for first place in the Central Division. That's what it sounded like right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN on Saturday night as the Blues win in the Winter Classic. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is 11.03. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Alex, that was... At least in my opinion, pretty darn close to the best possible version of the Blues that we were all expecting this season. Vladimir Tarasenko looked excellent. Robert Thomas looked like he took that next step. Jordan Bennington was really solid for the most part in that game. I thought the defense, given the conditions, looked pretty darn good for the vast majority of that one up until the very end when the Wilds had the extra attacker. That game was never really in doubt after the second period. Midway through the second period, he kind of knew how that was going to go. And yeah, they ended up making it closer than you wanted it to be in the third period. But man, that first of all was a heck of a lot of fun to watch. And second of all, now that they've got Braden Shin back and he was activated yesterday off of IR, I think we are finally getting ready to see what the Blues look like at the best version of themselves. And I think it's time to talk about them as not just the dark horse contenders. Say it. As legit Stanley Cup contenders. I don't know how anybody can argue otherwise at this point. You can't argue otherwise. Whether you like to or not, Tanner, I know you hate this team for some reason. Uh, You know, they put Huso back in net. Okay. Okay. He wasn't giving up four. Look, that game did have the tight butt cheeks factor. Like third period, I caught myself holding my breath for the final six minutes when they pulled the goaltender because it just didn't feel like, like it felt like we were going to see a bad outcome in that one. But then they locked things down. Second period, to me, told the story. The second period showed 
me how good this Blues team can truly be in the conditions that they played in, in the scenario that they were in of playing in Minnesota, the first winter classic, the first outdoors game in Minneapolis with the sold out crowd. It told me that this team likes the national spotlight. It told me that this team performs when they absolutely need to. And the second period had it all. It had the skills of Jordan Cairo, Vladimir Tarasenko, Robert Thomas. It had the physical play from the Blues in general because they took a couple of hits. They dealt a couple of hits towards Minnesota. It had the defense in the second period, which locked things down. And the special teams were impressive. To be able to perform at that level on that stage in that environment, it told me all I need to know. No longer is this team a dark horse. This team should be viewed as a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, I mean, they look good in all facets on Saturday, minus, of course, giving up the third period. But, I mean, the third period was just kind of sitting back. I mean, you're up, what, at that point, 6-1, 5-1? I mean, I kind of expected that. So just seeing how deep this team is, and then you think about it, and as we mentioned to open the show, they didn't even have Brayden Shen last night, or on Saturday, excuse me. It just shows how deep this team is. Defensively, they're playing very good hockey. I know they gave up four, but I still thought they were very sound defensively in that Winter Classic. I think it is time to start talking about them as becoming the fa- not the favorite, but one of the favorites for the Stanley Cup because they are deep, deeper than that 19 Cup run team, in my opinion, in terms of scoring. Defensively, they're still looking to get that person with Preco. I think Mikula is becoming that guy. Totally. And then it just comes down to the goaltending. Can Bennington be that guy that can shut down somebody in a playoff series? And I know he gave up four against the Wild on, in the Winter Classic. I thought he played overall very well. So I that, think they have to be considered. That's an element that I feel like you just can't evaluate in that Winter Classic game. Because, I mean, look at the weird bounces that went in. The goal that went off of you his back. midway through the first period. It was like, ah, oh, it's going to be one of those games. I mean, look, the first goal, Perron had to shoot it from the corner and went off a skate and in. Mikola, I mean, he scored the goal for the Minnesota Wild. And then the one went off of Bennington's back. That's the one area of that game, BK, that I don't think you can evaluate. Yeah, I, I also think this team's best defense is going to be its offense moving forward. Yep. I mean, we, we saw finally what these forward lines can look like at nearing full strength. And I don't know if Braden Shin's going to be 100% when he returns to the ice uh, tomorrow night against the Penguins or not. I, I don't know how close he's going to be at 100%. But even if he's 80% or so, that's a really good player that you're adding to your forward groups. And man, you're doing so along with some of the deepest forward lines of any team in the league, maybe the deepest right now in terms of the, the number of players that you can count on for 15 or more goals this season. I would say the blues might be at or near the top of that list. Here's the numbers that kind of back that up right now, Alex, the blues combined for 10 goals and 16 assists and their victories over the Oilers and the wild since they've been at or near full strength, six of those goals and nine of those assists came from players that returned to the lineup in Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, David Perron, Ivan Barbashev, and Pavel Buchnevich. Now you're about to get back Braden Shin, James Neal, Dakota Joshua, in terms of housekeeping here, they are added to your taxi squad. Robert Bortuzzo is your last remaining player. I haven't seen reports today from uh, practice or not if he's going to be back, but he's the last one that needs to be back in this lineup. For the first time, quite literally all season, we could, at some point this week, see the Blues at 100% of what we thought they would be going into this season. It hasn't happened once this year. They had close to it against Detroit, but they were still, I think, missing somebody on the back end, if I'm not mistaken, in that game. Uh, but this would be the first time all year long that they are actually with their full allotment of roster. 
And I, they are officially, they're in that conversation right now of the top of the West. And the reason why is because who you've done this against. This is not one of those games where you're going up against Seattle. You're going up against uh, guys at the bottom of the barrel in the Western Conference. You did this against the Minnesota Wild, who came into the game 19-9-2 and and right at the top of the Central Division. You did it against Edmonton, who came into that game 18-12 on the season with two of the best players in hockey. If you can do it against those two teams, you can do this against anybody right yeah, now. So the only player that they didn't have in the lineup for that game against Detroit was Robert Bortuzzo. There you go. And they're not going to have Robert Bortuzzo because of the COVID protocols in this one uh, tomorrow expected against the Pittsburgh Penguins and Logan Brown. But Logan Brown wasn't even on the team at the time. So um, it, it is as full strength as you've been all season. And, and, you know, there's one area for me that I have been really impressed by, and it's been the second period. Like, this is what tells me that this team is different. That was the issue last year. That's exactly. That was where last year, remember how much we were talking about what is wrong with this team? The first period, they start great. Second period, they're awful. And they're playing chase hockey in the third period. Guys, since November 21st, so in 16 games, which that is the most games played by any team in the Central Division, other than the Eastern Conference and one team in the Pacific. 16 games played for the Blues. They're 10-3-3. They have the best goal differential in the second period. They're wow. plus 14. They've scored the most goals in the second plus period. Plus 14 in the second period in, the in second 16 period. games. They've scored 24 goals, and they've allowed 10. There's only wow. two teams that have allowed less goals than them. It's eight and nine, and those teams have played 13 games. That's an area because for me, you might start the first period slow. You might end it tied. You might end it down. But when you enter the second period, it's a period that other teams are like, Okay, be ready for this. That's where your adjustments come in. And then that's also a sign of good coaching. And Craig Berube, who is on the final year of his deal, that's another check mark in his box. Yes, exactly. And the fact that they can do that, you catapult yourself to a third period where in that in that time frame that we just talked about, third period for the Blues, they've scored 21 goals and they've allowed 18. That's a problem because you got to lower that number 18. But when you're scoring 24 in 16 games, usually you have a two or three goal lead. That's a sign of a team that is going for a championship. Yeah. That's what you're watching. Are we doing that because BK said they're champions? It's time to guess the lines with BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex got way overexcited. He just said it. That's like the third time he referenced champions. So this season's all about. Let's go ahead and play You're a game of right Guess the Lines. Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Danny Mac's going to join the show coming up here in about five minutes or so. Alex, this is the toughest one of the year because I don't know what they're going to do with Braden Shin. I feel pretty good about the top line. I think it's going to be O'Reilly, Perron, and Saad. I feel pretty good about the number two line. I think that's going to be Thomas, Tarasenko, and Kyrou. No, they're going to break that up. I have no idea what the third and fourth lines will look like. I think your third line is going to be Shen, Barbashev, and Buchnevich. Because, I mean, we talk so much about why is Bozak centering that line. He's probably holding that down for Braden Shen, and that's exactly what he was doing. You put Braden Shen back. Now, what I don't know is if Shen's going to be the center and Barbashev's going to play the wing. Or is Shen going to play the wing and they're just going to tell him, look, we need to get the best out of you for this one. I think they put him on the wing to make sure that his shoulder's right. So that he doesn't have to be the center guy or whatever it is. I think that's that's, speculation. I I think you're right. That's the one I don't know about. But if I were to guess, if I were a betting man, which I am, and you could do that at DraftKings or FanDuel. No, DraftKings would recommend FanDuel. I would say it's Shen, Barbashev and Buchnevich. 
All right, let's start out with the top line. Let's oh, go. I thought, we, just, I thought we did this already. O'Reilly, Perron, and Saad. Ding. The second line will be Thomas, Tarasenko, Kyrie. You could call that the top line if you yeah. want to. They've Ding. been the top line in the NHL. Shen Barbashev, Buchnevich. Do we want to go? Let, let's make sure we get this 100% correct, though. Do we want to go Shen at center or a wing? Because you're a hockey guy, BK, we're going to go with Shen on the wing. Nice. <laughs> Shen hockey is on guy. the right side. Okay. Oh, so Buchnevich on the left. I'm He's he was been successful on the right side when he was playing with Barbashev. I'm a little surprised because they said coming too. into the year, hey, Booch is a, a guy that likes playing on the right side, and now he can play anywhere though, you know. And he had to play on the left side because Tarasenko's a righty, and look at the Russian line. Yeah. So then your fourth line, I would imagine Klim Kostin's going to be the healthy scratch. I don't think he's going to to offset Logan Brown because if Logan Brown's here, Logan Brown's playing, and then I would imagine you're going to have Bozak and Sonny unless there's an injury. Who do you put at center? Bozak. So Bozak, Sonny's a better Sonny, winner. and Brown yeah. as your fourth line. Nice. That's 100%, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I are going to be able to do that. I like it. All right, so your top line, Saad O'Reilly, Perron. Your second line, Kairou, Thomas, Tarasenko. Third line, Buchnevich, Barbie, and Shin. Shin on the wing on the right side for this one. And then uh, Charlie Lindgren in that. Really? Yeah. No, Charlie Lindgren's in Springfield, DK. I, I was confused as to what you were doing. I thought you were reporting that. I was like, got him, though. what? What I happened? Don't, I don't report anything. Uh, and then Brown, Sonny, and Bozak is your fourth line as they have the uh, the rush lines today. Damn, Blues versus Penguins team. tomorrow night. Pre-game coverage with Alex will begin at 530 right here on your home for the Blues, 101 ESPN. My God, those are some deep lines. Say and, it again, BK. And Bozak is centering that line. Say it Sonny's ag- on the right. Okay. Say it again, BK. Say they're Stanley Cup champions. I mean, they have the look of them oh. right now. They, they still out. need to keep up defensively what they've been doing of late. They need Nico okay. Mikola to play this way consistently. Okay, look, man, we're going positive here. And they need to stay healthy. If they can do those two things, you got to feel really good about where the Blues are at right now. We'll continue discussing that throughout the days today with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 15 minutes, we are going to uh, talk about the winter classic observations that we had, including the Blues looking like a team that was ready for the spotlight. Oh, yeah. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Danny Mack joins the show to talk about what he wants to see the Cardinals do whenever they return from this lockout, if it ever ends. We'll talk to Dan next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Missed the hell out of this guy. We're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity this Line to guy. talk with our friend, the Cardinals broadcaster, the one and only Danny Mack joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Dan, how the hell you been, man? How were your holidays? Well, my holidays were great. I miss you guys, too. Uh, I don't know if you heard in the uh, Saliga spot, I said I'll be coming up on Tanner and Company. That's right. Dan, That's I, right, Dan, Danny Mack. I told you that hurts my ego, man. I know. I, I'm sorry, Alex. Okay, it's everybody's show. Dan, okay? you know what? I was driving in today, and I was singing Elvis Presley's I'll Have a Blue Christmas Without You, man, because I knew we weren't going to have you back, and I had a blue Christmas. Well, I, I so for people that don't know, um, hopefully, and we, we talked about this before uh, the Christmas break and the New Year break, uh, hopefully we're going to be traveling next year with, with the games on, on television. 
and we knew that would be possibly a nightmare to try to do a one-hour radio show or even just a radio show from the road. Um, it doesn't mean I'm done with 101, but it does mean that um, I, I'm not going to be able to do that show. And so my contract was up, so we kind of figured out a way to stay involved in the station, which is to you know, do different hits uh, and different day parts on the station. So with you guys, I'll be doing this on Tuesdays, and when you guys take vacations or others on the station are, are taking vacations, I'll be able to do fill-in if I'm in town and, and the schedule works out. So I'll have a presence on the station, which works out great, and I'm going to miss you guys too because I had a lot of fun working with you guys. It was awesome. Sounds like you'll be working a lot then if you're coming in for vacations because BK takes them all the time. <laughs> okay, enough of that. I knew that one you was know, coming. <laughs> Basically, BK was gone since November, so, you know, it was he's no not big wrong. He, he's, he's not wrong on that, but we know that's not the case from January to November. Uh, Dan, I do have to pass this along, and then we can move right along into interesting Cardinals topics. Uh, the Cardinals have announced that they have canceled the 2022 winter warm-up. Uh, they have also canceled the caravan that typically takes place around this time of the year. That is all very unfortunate news, and it frustrates me to no end. There was an announcement yesterday that apparently Major League Baseball and the Players Association have not really done a whole lot of meeting and do not have plans to do a whole lot of meeting. All right, let's set that to the side for a second. I want to talk about the Cardinals with you, Dan. Hold on. I'll I'll say this. It's no surprise, number one, that this has taken place with the caravan and the winter warm-up. And I've been doing the, I guess it was the inception was done by Dr. Ed Lewis, which was a friend of Tony LaRusso's. Tony LaRusso started the winter warm-up, for people that don't know that. It was kind of his idea. He went to the Cardinals, and a lot of teams were doing this as a fundraiser, as a side uh, of the franchise, and kind of saying, hey, this this is a cool way to raise some money for charity in town, but it's also a great way to to get this thing going and to kind of have the kickoff to the season, get people excited about it. And the Cardinals have been doing the caravans for many, many years. And one of the reasons that they did it is that when Anheuser-Busch owned the club, it was, hey, let's get the players, the broadcasters together, and it's a great way to kind of sell beer. You know, we'll get people out to go to the towns that have distributorships, and we'll put on a show for them and sign autographs and and so it was kind of a win-win for everybody. So, number one, I'm disappointed that we're not doing it because I know fans from all over the Midwest come and enjoy this. So I'm really disappointed for the fans. Selfishly, I'm disappointed because the caravan, guys, is a great way for me as a broadcaster to meet the players and meet the young players. So when Lance Lynn comes up, um, and he now becomes this guy that is uh, a Cy Young finalist for the White Sox, and uh, becomes a an, uh, you know a guy that all of a sudden appears in the World Series his first year in 2011. I've met Lance Lynn, and I've been in the back of a bus for two days with Lance Lynn, finding out who Lance Lynn is. So when he comes up to the big leagues, and or he sees me in spring training, he's like, "Hey, Dan, what's going on?" So I, I know that sounds weird, but selfishly speaking, it's a great way for me to meet these young players. And so I get to know about them. I get to talk to them. I get to interview them. I get to find out about them. And it's a way that it breaks the ice to where I'm not just going up to a guy that I've never met before that gets called up to the big leagues, and I'm trying to figure out who the hell this guy is. I know who this guy is, and I can go up and say, hey, man, put my arm around him and say congratulations. It's awesome to have you here and, and have a conversation. And it breaks the ice for their entire career. So for me, I'm, I'm really disappointed in that, and hopefully they get this thing done 
and and let's get to the table, man. And 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 you know everything's done with a deadline in sports, as we know, and baseball does it better than anybody. But uh, sooner, you know, sooner rather than later, let's get this thing done. Yeah, your your voice to God's ears, and hopefully it ends up getting to the commissioner's offense, uh, office. No rather, He's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. All right, Dan, my, my favorite thing about doing these weekly hits with you is that I'm still going to be able to pass along some of my crazy thoughts about the Cardinals, and you can tell me Love if it. I'm off the rails or not. So we were talking last week about the Cardinals' rotation. As you can probably imagine, that is a topic of conversation this offseason, and we were talking about Dakota Hudson and Miles Michaelis in particular because Fangraphs came out with their projections for next year. And they had both of those guys slated for about 110 innings and right around a four ERA. I wanted to ask you, Dan, what do you think a successful season looks like for those two? Is, is that what you're anticipating or do you think they can be or should be expected to be more than that? Interesting way to look at it. Hudson coming off of Tommy John, I think 110 innings probably is right. Although I would say this, uh, I, I would anticipate maybe a little bit more with him. I think with most people coming back from Tommy John, I would say maybe a little that that would be right. But I think with him and the way that he looked at the end of the season, um, I would say maybe 120. Um, and, and the reason that I say that, guys, is that when I look back at last season in 2021, you had four guys that gave you 200 or more innings. That was it. Now, part of that was the COVID-19 effect of a shortened season. Pitch counts certainly are a big part of the game. Openers are a part of the game now with certain franchises and 26-man rosters. But Hudson, to me, is somebody that I count on a little bit more. Michaelis, I would think that you have to count on more than 110 innings. I, I just think that he's a different animal, that it's not Tommy John. It was a different injury, and you should be able to rely on him more than 110. The thing that I look at more than even the innings, I want to rely on these guys that they're healthy enough to start every fifth day. And if I get them to start every fifth day, I would look at that being more important than the innings that they provide. Because I do think that if you're going to get through the long haul of a 162-game season and then the the playoffs, um, I'm going to have to go deep into my roster anyway and probably go deep into my minor leagues to cover a lot of the innings that are probably 6, 7, and 8, and 9. So as long as those guys are healthy to take the ball every fifth day, I look at that as almost being more important than the amount of innings that they maybe give me. So, Dan, we, we've had this conversation between BK Tanner and I, and we've talked about, of course, the Cardinals, when things start back up, are going to want to add still. John Mosellock talked about it. So if you were in Mo's shoes and you had $10 million to spend on this market for one player, who would you want? Boy, that's a great question. Pitching, for sure. I'd look. I'd, I'd dip my toe into that water again, and my rotation would probably fitch, uh, feature Wainwright, Hudson, Michaelis, Flaherty, Matz, and then I've got some wild cards in there with Hicks, Reyes, Woodford, and I'm going to throw Oviedo. I am bullish on Oviedo. I know that he's not had the great success at the major league level. I love his stuff. What I find interesting with this team as currently constructed is the lack of veterans coming off the bench, and that would be the other way that I look at it. So I'm thinking a left-handed bat coming off the bench. So I'm looking at the pitching market for sure, and then I'm trying to find a veteran left-handed bat coming off the bench, preferably from the outfield position. I, I, you know, If you want to go Jock Peterson, he certainly is somebody I'd look at. There's going to be plenty of guys. I've looked at the list of still potential free agents that are out there. Um, obviously, you can go to the trade market. 
There was a really interesting story today, guys, by Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News, which I did not realize uh, you cannot be negotiating with other teams about trades. He said, right now, you cannot be doing that. And I thought you could be. Apparently, you cannot be doing that. So this is truly a work stoppage that you can't be doing that. Now, if you're not on the 40-man roster, you can report to spring training, and it's business as usual in the minor leagues. But GMs and presidents of baseball operations are stuck. And when they finally come to an agreement, it's going to be the wild, wild west in trying to sign guys and, and make those deals. So I'm glad you brought up the trade market, Dan. This is my final question that I've got for you, because last week we talked about Craig Kimbrell, the closer right now for the Chicago White Sox. He's slated to make $16 million for the upcoming season. And apparently the White Sox have a a bit of a cap crunch, if you will. They're paying a ton of money to their closer in Kimbrell, and they would like to add elsewhere, specifically in the middle infield. And they don't have a ton of funds right now to be able to do so. So we brought up the notion, uh, what if the White Sox called you at whatever this lockout is over, as you mentioned, and they said, you know what, we'd be interested in Paul DeYoung. And we would do a straight swap because of their money situation of DeYoung for Craig Kimbrell. So you're adding $10 million. It goes back to that $10 million we just talked about in terms of payroll for next season. Is that something you'd be interested in if you're John Mosellock? Absolutely. I I think anything's on the table right now. And he was so good for the Cubs. I mean, he was dominant, absolutely dominant. You can make a case he was the best closer in baseball when he was for the Cubs. Something happened, though, when he went to the White Sox. And Liam Hendricks was the closer for the White Sox. And Kimbrell was the setup guy uh, with Tony La Russa and the White Sox. There is something, and I don't know why it is this way, when a closer is asked to be a setup guy, they sometimes just can't adapt to that role. And his ERA was in the fours at times. He was giving up home runs, which he didn't do with the uh, the Cubs. Something happened there with the White Sox. And if you wanted to take a flyer on him and have a dominant one-two punch with Gallegos to the back end and give DeYoung uh, a new life, Yeah, that's something I'd look at. And the reason that maybe you would do it, too, is that there's a lot of people that believe in baseball. The strength of the minor league system of the Cardinals is their middle infield. They feel that they have very good middle infield depth. Certainly you have it at the major league level with Tommy Edmond, Amundo Soso. You you would feel covered, at least, in the minimum right now with what you have there. But you also have guys coming that they like, too. So... Yeah, it's something that I think you'd look at and say it's a swap. The money would work, and it's something you'd have to take a hard look at for sure. Danny Mack didn't call me crazy today. We'll see if we can do better next week for you guys. (laughs) Hey, you know what? At this point in time, BK, you know, nothing else going on. We talk about anything. It's all good. That's that's the hope for these conversations. Dan, (laughs) miss you, my man. We'll talk with you again next week. Great visiting with you guys. Thanks. See you, Absolutely. Same to you. That's Sam McLaughlin joining us here on 101 ESPN Cardinals broadcaster. He will join us each and every Tuesday throughout the 2022 calendar year uh, on BK and Ferrario. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we'll get some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you guys have any questions. But coming up next, some of our top winter classic observations other than the Blues are really good. We'll get to those next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex 
Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get into some questions and answers at the top of the 12 o'clock hour. I've got a question for you guys on Jordan Cairo, a hypothetical scenario. We'll do that coming up at 12 o'clock. But Alex, it wasn't just the only observation from the Blues and the Winter Classic wasn't, hey, they're really good now. I did want to talk about the event itself because we talked a lot leading into it about, okay, how's this going to be compared to when it was held here at Bush Stadium? I thought it was cool. I did like the clubhouse vibe that they had as they as they entered the uh, the ice. I, I didn't think the setup itself was nearly as unique as the one that they had here in St. Louis, where they had the guitar and everything was set up based upon that. But I thought it was cool. I didn't think it had. I guess unique is the word. It didn't have a unique vibe to it the way that so many of these others do, though. Yeah, it didn't have that, uh, oh, man, I've never seen that before vibe. Now, yeah. if you're a fan of the Minnesota Wild, if you live in Minnesota, like I'm sure Justin Falk saw for the first time, I was like, oh, damn, that's really cool. Because you had the cabin vibe. You had the outdoorsy vibe with the deer close by. I always think it's cool that they have those rinks in the back of the ice rink to where other people can skate around. And since it's the, the state of hockey, that's what they call it in Minnesota. They had all of those out there skating. I thought that was really cool, but you're right. When I saw it, I didn't get the, Oh my gosh, vibe that I got when I first saw it in St. Louis. And maybe that's just because we're from St. Louis and we love the, everything that St. Louis does, but we've seen setups before, like the one at uh, the Michigan football stadium, the one at Fenway Park. Like I saw that as a hockey fan and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this one didn't feel like it. That's a good point, because what made the one at Bush Stadium cool was the way that they designed the ice itself. Mm-hmm. Now, Bush Stadium, the thing that is great about it and the, the reason why I would assume this is the case for you guys as well, why I love going to games there is because of the skyline, the, the skyline in yeah. the background is what makes it so special. Bush Stadium itself, the actual stadium, is not a historic stadium like Fenway or like Wrigley. So you've got to find other ways to make it special when you have a game like that. I think the same is true of Target Field. It's not a place that is historically relevant the way that some of those other ballparks have been or the way that uh, going to the big house would be. Yeah. So you've got to make it cool with what it looks like inside of the the, the, the ballpark itself. I thought if you were doing like scale of one to 10, it's like a six. I, I would have had it, it cool. at a five. Yeah, but I, it was I didn't feel like they really outdid themselves yeah. with this one. So, I thought the star of the game was the action on the ice itself, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. Because it's rare that you have that in those winter classics. Yeah, absolutely. Some so games are just duds. That's what made it so much fun. In some ways, it reminded me, of course, that... The actual setting is different because this was a 10 out of 10, but the Field of Dreams game that we had last year in baseball where the the game itself almost outpaced what the setting was. And that's a pretty high bar to clear there because the setting was awesome in that regard. But the game became the star of the show. And that was the case again for the Blues versus the Wild. I, I will say I loved the fact that they did it at night because we've seen day games. And as cool as that is, it's cooler to see it, it's it's. It's more retro for me to see hockey being played at night on a rink outside. Like, I've not, I mean, I grew up playing hockey, but it was more like, you know, 
on your feet rather than on ice skates. But like, that's when you play hockey, you play it at nine or 10 o'clock at night, or you're playing super early in the morning. So the games where the sun is out, it takes away from the ambiance. I think of the game. That was something that I feel like the NHL has to look at and say, we need to continue to do this every season from now on. Yeah. I'm with you there because normally in those day games, you have those delays because of glare or cleaning the ice, cleaning up, yeah. the ice and you don't have that issue at night. And it makes the pregame stuff look that just that much better. Cause now, now you can actually see kind of the fireworks and that illuminates light onto the players with the blue and then you got the smoke and the fire. But I'm with you guys. To me, that just the setting of it, it was kind of the game was awesome. And I, I love the winter classic. I watched every year, but it was just kind of generic. I mean, every every place you go to, they put the snow on the uh field around it, and they usually have like the little ponds for kids to skate around on it. That was about it. And and to me, that didn't really represent I mean, I don't know a lot about Minnesota, but it didn't represent Minnesota well enough. Do you see the guys roasting marshmallows? I did. I, I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was pretty funny. Or uh, roasting uh, hot dogs, too. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Now, one thing that would have been cool, and I don't think you could actually do it, but they had the fake deer out there. Let's put a real deer, deer out there. <laughs> okay, yeah, that might be cool. a bad right. idea. Deer, imagine deer's trying to go hunting. It's hard imagine Jordan Kyler <laughs> coming down the rink, not only trying to deke out three to players on Minnesota's no, team, but not, maybe you got to watch out for the deer, too. They're not going to get on the ice. They what are you talking about? They can jump. There's glass. There's glass. It's fine. So so now we're putting them in a greenhouse. Yeah. Or or maybe you do what they do at like the parks and you just like fence them off a little bit in their own area. Tanner. Too far, man. There's a line. You crossed it. I, I like. Fine, fine. In theory, I, I'm, I'm appreciative I mean, of the outside the Dan box Campbell ideas. Was going to bring actual lines to practice. Am I that far fetched? Well, he's only got two wins on the season. So good point. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to make sure that we talked about was the Blues seemingly embracing this moment in a way that I did feel like was meaningful. The performance that they had on the ice itself, they clearly lived up to being in the spotlight. Jordan Cairo looked like he belonged as a superstar in this league. Vladimir Tarasenko has been in those moments before and once again showed out in another winter classic. Uh, I, I thought the team as a whole really lived up to the hype. And then before the game, I know it's silly. I know it's something that maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it. I thought it was meaningful that they showed up all in that beach gear. And I do think it is pretty cool that Craig Berube apparently gave his stamp of approval to this as well. That was a player's idea. Was, uh, I thought it was pretty funny, to be honest with you. Uh, they wanted to They talked to me and Doug about doing something coming into the rink. Um, I wasn't really sure what they were going to do. So I was a little bit surprised, too, but it was thought it was pretty cool. I love it. They embraced it, man. What was the talk leading into this game? What was I saying beforehand? This is going to be miserable. It's negative 10 degrees outside. You couldn't pay me enough money to go to this game. I was going to go shirtless for a thousand. <laughs> I would have paid that too because you wouldn't have come home. The Blues players basically heard that, not just from me, but from everybody that was around the Blues this player game. Listen to us? Uh, maybe, man. And up, they, decided, <laughs> they decided to lean into the bit. And they went with the beach outfits. I thought it was outstanding. And if you're going to do something like that, you better play well. Because that can become a meme real quick if you get your ass kicked on national TV after doing something like that leading into a game on a road environment. The only reason they did that was because they were confident in themselves. And, and, and frankly, if they were a team that just was unsure about their identity, they wouldn't have done that. They would have done what the Minnesota Wild did and showed up in matching jackets and hats. They did that because, one, they knew everyone was talking about how cold it was, and two, They wanted the spotlight on them. They wanted people to be talking about the St. Louis Blues. And I love the fact that they did that. When it happened, I'm watching it on social media. And first of all, I'm watching every single person that comes off that bus. And like, it's a video you watch 10, 12, 15 times. 
and you find something new every time. Like the fifth time I watch, I'm like, oh my God, Marco Scandella is walking around with his shirt unbuttoned, but he's got a Yeti cooler in his hand and a pineapple was hanging out of it. So like to me, that was David Perron had a towel over his shoulder. Yes. <laughs> like Ryan O'Reilly, it was basically just chest hair out. Who do you think won? Who, Jordan who won? Bennington. Did you see how much yes. his shirt cost? The Versace shirt? It was like a twelve hundred dollar <laughs> yeah. shirt in his shades. It was incredible. But that was a team that basically said, We know we're great and we're gonna flaunt it. Like you gotta have a little cockiness to your game. And I think the Blues have finally found that. So when it happened, I knew they were gonna win that game. Probably thought they were going to score 10 goals. And after, close. and after that, I mean, it's hard to look at this team and say this team's not going to be successful this season. I was completely stunned when I saw that on social media because I was like with BK. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're going to be out there. They're going to be like bundled up. I didn't even see Minnesota come off the bus. I have no idea what they wore. And what's they created even, no buzz. The they blue yeah. stole they it. wore the blue stole matching the jackets. And, exactly. And what's even better is Jordan Binks is like, yeah, I have a bunch of lumberjack uh, outfits <laughs> yeah. too that we ended up not <laughs> wearing. So if you need a large it. or extra large, I got one. And you guys have all been in that spot, right? Maybe it's for your wife's birthday. She's doing a party or something that's themed. Or she you're doesn't going, like lumberjacks. Okay, but you know what I mean? We're they're determining, okay, here are like the four different ideas of what we could do for the theme. And so you you get two weeks out from the event or whatever, and they're like, okay, I, I gotta start getting some stuff because if I don't, I'm not gonna have anything for whatever this theme is. And then you end up with like 40 extra shirts that you've got that you're just stuck with. Did you point. see Buchnevich's quote? The Belisha Report just put it out a little bit ago. He said it's really difficult to find Hawaiian shirts and beach clothes when it's minus 10 degrees. He said, I look like an idiot going into a store asking, hey, do you guys have any Hawaiian <laughs> shirts and sandals? I love it. It's awesome. I, I love it. That's That was a moment for the Blues. And I don't know what it's going to lead to this year, but the performance that we saw on the ice... The spectacle that we saw before the ice of them getting off of the bu- getting onto the bus and then leaving the bus and walking <laughs> into the arena in negative ten degree weather with flip flops, swim trunks, and half buttoned up shirts, flowered shirts, it was outstanding. And it showed you that they they are a team that is ready for whatever is coming next. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Whatever the rest of the season gives holds. me an idea for Thursday. You know, there's a little bit of chance of snow. Beach Guys, wear for us. Beach day for the boys. I'd do it. I'll do it. Yeah, let's I'll do, do beach day. Okay. Beach day on Thursday? Beach day on Thursday. All right, I'm going shirtless all the time. Okay. <laughs> well, Coming up I'll in 15 minutes, what are we watching you know. right now with Jordan oh. Kyrou? What oh. is the ceiling for him? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, did you think it was cheesy to introduce all of the wild individually and then just do the blues as a team? Alex, do you have any insight into this? Was that a, a blues decision? Or? I don't remember if they did. Now, I know in the alumni game, they announced both the Blackhawks and the blues players, but I don't remember if they did that for Chicago here in St. Louis. I don't remember either. I, I, I'm, I'm sure some people feel like it's disrespectful not to do that for St. Louis, but let's be honest. I mean, we would have been there all night, like introducing every single player, and it's a Minnesota twin. It's a Minnesota Wild home game. Like, why wouldn't you? In a playoff game, you introduce the other team, but for this one, no, I didn't think it was cheesy because I just think you're, like, let's play the game. 
There's no point in sitting here wasting time. And frankly, the television was so behind on the radio, they're introducing three players ahead of the guy on the television. So I, I didn't mind it. Yeah, I didn't mind it either. I just wish they would have done maybe the Blues first since they're the road team. And then you can introduce the Wild. Because to me, I thought they were going to do that all along. Was here's the Blues. And here's your Minnesota Wild. That made sense. So I have no issue with it. I just would have flipped the order around. I think that makes a lot more sense than what they decided to do. And it, it leads up to the, the yeah, it leads up to the crescendo of them introducing the home team in front of the home crowd. There were a lot of Blues fans there, though. I will Dude, say they you travel so well. Did I you, see Talman was there? I didn't I see that. Or someone know. someone was representing Talman. I'm sure somebody probably was. Yeah, that they had a ton of fans in the stands. So credit to all of you that were able to make that trip every Everything that I've seen on the text line and certainly on social media and stuff, it seems like it was a great time going up there despite the weather. I respect the hell out of any of you that decided to make that trip. I would not have been among you. From the 618, now that the Titans are officially healthy and potentially getting Derrick Henry back for their playoff run, do you believe that they are the best team in the AFC? I still don't know if there's a clear-cut favorite in the AFC, but for the way that they've played these last few weeks, and I'm not talking the offense, I'm talking defense, I mean, I'd put them up there with the Chiefs. I think those are your two best teams in the AFC right now. And below them, the Patriots, the Bills, and the Bengals. I don't know if I can buy in that they're the best team in the AFC, even if they end up getting the one seed, getting healthy, and Henry comes back. I heard a stat over the weekend. I can't remember who it was that said it. It was from ESPN. It was the Tennessee Titans have had two games where they've rushed for over 200 yards, and they've lost because of four turnovers. I, I just don't know if I trust Ryan Tannehill enough to get them over the hump to become the favorite in the AFC. That's why I look at the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Sure, he's had his turnover issues this year, but he's played better of late. And that's why I look at them as the favorite. And to me, even though they lost to the Bengals, still the clear-cut favorite. I would still take them over the Bengals in a rematch. I would, too. That number one seed is a really big deal, though. Normally, it's the top two seeds that get the bye week. This year, if you forgot, we have the seven teams in the postseason, and you have just the one team, the top seed, getting that first-round bye. And as of today the Titans would be the team that would get that. And they travel to Houston this weekend. That's their final game. If they win that one, they get the bye week. And that means an extra week for Derrick Henry to get healthy. You've got a week for A.J. Brown to make sure that he is at 100% going into the postseason. I would still favor the Chiefs. I'm, I'm in agreement with you guys on that. But it's not crazy to believe that the Titans are. I mean, if they end up with that number one overall seed, they're probably going to play the Bills or the Patriots in their first playoff game, I could see them beating either of those two yeah, teams. I think they would beat both of those teams. And then they would host the AFC Championship game against most likely either the Chiefs or the Bengals. It wouldn't it shouldn't shock anybody if they if they beat either of those two teams. This, they already beat the Chiefs earlier this year. And the thing about the uh, the the Tannehill side of this one though is if Derrick Henry's there, you're not putting the ball in his hands as it's much. It's back to what he was earlier in the season when they were we all agreed right. the clear-cut best team and in think the about AFC. It, they also found out that Deontay Foreman's really good so that they have a one-two punch. It reminds me of uh, of Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Like if you have two guys that you can run the ball with, uh, to me, that's just a dangerous team. I would have them right there with the Chiefs. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. I have not checked this. I don't know if this is 100% true or not, but if it is, this is a wild statistic from the 636. The Titans tied an all-time record this year for most wins over teams with a winning record in any individual season. Well, who'd they beat? They beat the Rams twice. They beat the Colts. The Bills. The Bills. The Chiefs. Chiefs. Dang. Saints. 
49ers, Dolphins. I mean, they they had a really impressive season. It's hard, it's hard to pick. It's hard not to pick them. Would you guys pick Mike Vrabel as your coach of the year this year? I think I would. Uh, him or Cincinnati's coach? Zach Taylor? Taylor? I think Taylor will be the one that will win it. Because really? They, For what but Taylor they started, did? They started as, I think, the lowest odds in the AFC North to win that division. For what Taylor but, did? I mean, the Browns were decimated by injury. This is not to take away anything. I mean, what the Bengals have done the last two weeks in particular, it's it's amazing. But they've almost won this division by default. Without Derrick Henry for what, five weeks? Well, I'm talking about the Bengals. Oh, I thought we were talking the Titans the, still. The Steelers don't have a quarterback. And I know last night was cool for big man. He stunk. He averaged three and a half yards per attempt in the first half. They they can't throw oh, the football right now. That felt unnecessary. The man might be retiring. He's definitely retiring, and he should retire. Great career. Should be done. My God. Remember the Ravens have... Anger issues. The Ravens at one point were like eight and three, looking like they were the clear-cut favorite to win their division. And then they had a ton of injuries in their secondary and at quarterback. And the Browns, seems pretty clear to all of us, I would think, that Baker Mayfield just isn't healthy right now. He announced yesterday that he's going to be, be getting surgery on his shoulder. So I, I think that what the Titans have done is more impressive as a coaching job than what the Bengals have done because the Titans have been decimated by injury and despite all of that, found a way to end up as the number one seed in the AFC. The only reason that I would consider, and I'm with you, I think Mike Vrabel deserves it, but the only reason I would consider Cincinnati is because of what they've done this season. They beat Baltimore twice. You beat Kansas City those are impressive victories for a team that what won five, six games last season. Yeah. I mean, they were terrible to turn it around in one season and really not make that many off season additions other than the draft and having a healthy quarterback. It's impressive, but I mean, I'm with you, Mike Vrabel with that team that lost to Davian Clowney that didn't have the same defense. And that's played half the season without Derrick Henry, who we all thought could get legitimate MVP talk midway through the well, year when he had 940 rushing yards in eight games in a quarter of the God. season he was on pace to potentially rush for 2000 yards in a quarter of the season without him on top of your two top receivers in yeah. Jones and Brown. Like it's hard to look at that and say the guy doesn't deserve a coach of the I year. I don't know, man. I, I would, I would be voting enthusiastically about with Mike. Braver. Someone I asked if you're going to, Called Big Ben a name like he called Aaron no, Rodgers last no. week. No, I, I think sure. the other thing that hurts Mike Vrabel is the fact that the expectation for the Titans was they're going to be one of the top teams in the AFC and they're going to be the but, winners of the AFC. But they South. might be. No, that's what I'm saying. Is like he's met expectations. Do you look at the Bengals? What was your expectation heading into the year? Yeah, See, that's I think true. there were expectations for the Bengals coming into the season. I thought people believed that they could be like a nine and eight. My expectation was Joe Burrow just survive without yeah. the offensive line. I thought that's they fair. were going to be like a seven win team, but looked like a team that makes more offseason moves and they'll be there. Maybe I just hate Zach Taylor. Well, you hate him just like hate Big Ben. I, I, like I, I will say this: this was a. I've been saying leading up to this week against the Chiefs. You know, I haven't seen that move where I'm like Zach Taylor hasn't cost him a game, and then I watched Sunday and I was like, you know what? He almost tried his best. So did so did Andy Reid. So they fair. were both trying to lose that game. I, I think we've learned over time, T Bone, that BK just hates anybody running back, quarterback, unless you play for the Chiefs. True. <laughs> Everyone is a miserable. You know what? Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next. What are we watching right now with Jordan Cairo? Because he's obviously taken that next step. But how many guys would you take? How many wingers would you take right now over Jordan Cairo for the next five years? We'll talk about that and I'll give you a hypothetical scenario. I want to see if you'd sign up for this coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
shoots, he scores! Kairou with two, and he's putting on a show in the old ballpark tonight. That's what it sounded like on Saturday night as Jordan Kairou announced his presence to a national stage with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, I- I've been thinking about this really since Saturday night's game and really all season long, but uh, what are we watching right now with Jordan Kairou? Because he is currently on pace for 30 goals and 50 assists in 72 games. That is an 80-point threshold in fewer than 80 games played this year. If he accomplishes that pace, he would be the first Blues forward with at least 30 goals and at least 50 assists in an individual season since Demetra did it in 2003. The only other Blues to accomplish that in the last 30 years are Pierre Turgeon and Brendan Shanahan. Turgeon. Turgeon and Brendan Shanahan. Close enough. It's pretty you're damn t- good company. You're talking about three guys, if if Ky- Kyrie is able to do this, in 30 years. What am I watching right now with Kyrie's ascendance? You're watching somebody turn from a all-star to a superstar, in my opinion. I think he's on pace to be an all-star this season for the Blues with what he's put together. But I think after a season like this, and... and to get to that superstar status, I mean, you got to do a lot in the NHL. But I think over the next few years, you're watching a guy just emerge into a superstar in the National Hockey League. He does everything. He's not he's not a one-dimensional player. He's a goal scorer. But yet, he has the patience to, make, to create offense with a puck on his stick like we saw the other night uh, with Vladimir Tarasenko and Robert Thomas. He has the speed to beat guys up the ice. He has the ability to find open ice in the offensive zone that other guys just don't know. He's always aware. The hockey sense just seems to be at another level right now. And there's so many comps have been thrown out there. I mean, Joe Vitale said Patrick Kane's name. I heard Curbs talk about Pierre Turgeon uh, earlier today with Carriker and Smallman. You mentioned Turgeon and Brendan Shanahan. There's a lot of names going around right now, but for what they have in Jordan Cairo, you got a guy who could potentially be a 40-goal scorer, on top of that, you got a guy who could potentially get to 100 points in a season at some point in his career. You mentioned what Kerber had to say earlier today. This is what it sounded like on Carriker and Smallman. It just reminded me of Pierre Turgeon setting up Scotty Young. You know, some some of those uh, plays back in the early 2000s when Scotty Young was a was a 40 goal scorer for this team. I, I think he has the chance to be that first uh, 80 point player the Blues have had since Pavel Dimitra scored 93. So I, maybe maybe the most exciting offensive player all around with the speed he could put on there since we since Pavel Dimitra. And I I mean I would go above that too. I would say you might be seeing somebody just as exciting as Brett Hall, because Brett Hall had the ability to make you stop what you were doing when the puck was on his stick because you never knew what to expect. Now don't don't get me wrong here. I'm not comparing him to Brett Hall. Wow, I'm not doing that, that again. Brett Hall. But it's somebody who just is as just exciting because. When he steps over those boards and onto the ice, you're always expecting offense from him. You're, it, it's dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, When you watch Jordan Cairo, I now feel when I'm watching Blues games like I am experiencing what Avs fans are experiencing watching Nathan McKinnon. Yeah. Or, and it, maybe it is 80% of what these guys are that I'm about to say, but he's at least in the same conversation now. Um, guys like McDavid or Dry, like all of the the superstars around the league, the plays that they make are similar to what we're watching right now with Jordan Cairo. 
his goal that he had where he like went around a defender, stopped for a second, and then was just able to put it exactly where it needed to go. That's absurd. And there's like 10 to 15 dudes in the entire league that can make the play that he made on that specific goal. That's why when I ask what we're watching here, the bar is incredibly high. And I I made the comp, this was about a month or two ago now, to what we saw this season from Tyler O'Neill. And I think there's some similarities there in that maybe after the season, we're not talking about Jordan Cairo as a superstar nationally, just because the name recognition isn't quite there the way that it will be three to five years from now. Same way that with Tyler O'Neill, like his numbers this year were superstar numbers, but he doesn't have that same level of recognition because he just hasn't done it for three to five years just yet. I think Cairo is trending in that direction though, right now. And so I wanted to ask you guys, because I, I was kind of looking for comps and we've mentioned all of them really. And this player is different stylistically from what we're watching with Jordan Cairo. But if I told you today, and I would love to hear from the text line, 65780, what your thoughts on this would be. If I told you that you could hit a button and over the next five years, Jordan Cairo produces, does it differently, but produces to the same level that Vladimir Tarasenko did from his age 23 to 27 season. So in 2014, Vladimir Tarasenko scored 37 goals with 73 or 73 points that year. And then for the next four years, he was between 33 and 40 goals every season and between 66 and 75 points every year. So he was right around that 70 point threshold with about 35 goals on average. If I told you you could hit the button and that's what Jordan Cairo will do over the next five years or you press your luck and maybe Jordan Cairo is better than what we saw from Vladimir Tarasenko and Tarasenko's prime in terms of point production, or he may be worse. What would you do? Would you press your luck on that, or would you want to just lock in right now what Vladimir Tarasenko was in that five-year stretch? This is tough because if you look at that stretch of hockey, there are only two guys that have scored more goals in that time frame than Tarasenko in the NHL, Alex Ovechkin and John Tavares. Those guys are pretty good. Only two guys. Those guys are pretty good. I might sound insane here, but I don't think I'd hit that button. I think I would take my chance because as much as Vladdy tore up the league and turned into a superstar in those four years, I think Kyrou can be better than that. I think you're looking at a guy who could potentially be a 40 goals, 50 assists kind of player in a season. I think you could be looking at somebody who could get to close to 100 points because of his speed and because of his ability. I mean, you're looking at a guy who's going to get number one power play opportunities in his career. You're looking at a guy who's probably going to be playing on your top line moving forward. And think about the players that he's going to be playing with. Vladdy's was impressive because he never had a number one center with him. He never had a number one center. Backus never was able to do that. Paul Stastny and him never meshed on the ice. And Yori Laterra was shades of it. Jordan Cairo has not only Ryan O'Reilly, but Robert Thomas. So I don't think I would press that button as as crazy as that seems because Vladdy scored 40 goals once and almost got it two other times. I'm going to take my chances of Jordan Cairo being an 80 to 90 point player. I think I am too. I think I'm going to hold off from pushing that button. And BK, you mentioned it, you know, they're different stylistically. When I made the comp last year that I thought Cairo was going to be better than Vladimir Tarasenko, it was because of his speed. And I thought that was going to be what could get him to goal scoring. 
I didn't think he'd have the shot close to what Vladdy had. We saw in the Winter Classic he has the shot. I think he's only going to get stronger as well to where he could. Because what I think of Vladdy, I think a guy with an electric shot and a guy that can that is strong on the puck and can use his body to kind of power his way to the net. I didn't think of that of Kyrou last year. I don't know if he can still power his way to the net, but I think he'll grow into that as well. So, I mean, I'm talking about a guy that has the speed in which we're talking about being one of the fastest guys on this Blues team and a guy that has the shot that it somewhat resembles Vladimir Tarasenko's. If he can just add a little bit of strength to him, which he probably will over time because he's, what, 22? Yeah, Kyrou did it. Or no, he's 23, but mm-hmm. but J- Thomas did it last year where he yeah. went from being smaller to being stronger. Then he's going to be one of those guys that I look at that he's basically a hybrid of what Jordan Kyrou is by himself plus of Vladimir Tarasenko. I would press my luck because I'm with Alex. I think he has potential to be a 40-goal scorer and could, could pass out 50 assists you, as well. You know, among guys who have played 29 or more games this season for the Blues, he's third on the team in shooting percentage. Wow. I mean, it's 16% right now. So there's potential right regression to, in, a, in a positive way that could be coming for Jordan Cairo yeah, I mean, well. he's got 75 shots on goal right now, and I mean, the only two guys that have better, better shooting percentage that have played the whole season is Brandon Saad with 17.4 and Ivan Barbashev with 23.1. So, I mean, like Jordan Cairo at 16% of the time is scoring goals. Imagine if that continues to get better. Uh, it's tough. It's going to be tough to do so. So, I, I think I would hit the button just because of the goal scoring production. You mentioned it, Alex. Over that five-year stretch that we're talking about for Vladimir Tarasenko when he was in his prime, 2014 to 2019, he scored 182 goals. That was third in the league behind Ovechkin and Tavares, and Tavares only scored one more goal than he did. I mean, he was... And played like 40 more games than him. Inarguably, the second best goal scorer, top five goal scorer in the league over that five-year stretch. If you're telling me I could get that kind of gold production, I, I think I've got to sign up for it. Where I do understand the argument, though, is that you guys mentioned Vladimir Tarasenko didn't always mesh well with his center. He, it wasn't obvious who the center was going to be for his line. I think Kyrou's a little easier to play with. I think he's more of a playmaker than Vladimir Tarasenko ever was. I don't think he does the, I'm going to hold it on my stick, hold it on my stick, and maybe try to make a play, and then if it doesn't work for me, uh, we're going back the other direction. The same way that there were times when Vladimir Tarasenko did that. And so if you're going to press your luck on this, I think it's from that perspective. I think it is you believe that Kairou will also get the best out of whoever his, his line mates are. And that is different, at least than what Vladimir Tarasenko used to be. Tarasenko this year has become that kind of a player where he is making his line mates better versions of themselves. Everybody that goes to his line starts producing in a way that they had it before they were on that line. But in the past, that was not how he was. I think Kairou can be that guy, especially if you are able to pair him with Robert Thomas. And we saw that chemistry on Saturday night. My God, those guys seem to have a sixth sense for where each other are on the ice at all times. If you can pair him with a guy like Robert Thomas for the next five years, you could see more production points wise than what Vladdy did. But those goals that he has, the, the the sheer number of goals that he's able to produce, I think I would have to lock that in if I'm if I'm given the opportunity right now in this hypothetical. The, game. the only reason is that I, I think you're looking at somebody different because Vladdy was unable to create breakaways purely off of his speed. He had to do it from guys who could pass him the puck. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I think Vladdy had had more of that to his game than we're giving him credit for. It was different. It wasn't to the same degree of what Kairou is. But if you remember, I mean, some of his some of his greatest uh, highlights are him on breakaway opportunities. Sometimes, though, that's because of the passes that he was getting from guys that's on the fair. back. Like Alex Petrangelo was one of the best outlet passers on this Blues team. Colton Pareko is one of those guys as well. 
remember last season against Vegas when Cairo basically beat Alex Petrangelo one-on-one? Cairo has that ability. Tarasenko had to use his strength. Cairo can use his playmaking abilities, and that's why I would say you're looking at a little different. And real quick, someone texted on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. We said the same potential for Fabry, so be careful with the Cairo projections. Let's remember one thing. Fabry was a really good player. Fabry, and I know this is different, but these are juniors' numbers. In two seasons, his final two seasons in junior hockey, Cairo, or Fabry had 87 points and 51 points. Cairo had 94 and 109 points. Cairo also spent a total of 64 games in the American Hockey League, where Fabry spent a total of six. Cairo was a point-per-game player in the American Hockey League. Everywhere he's gone, he's been a point-per-game player. Fabry didn't have that luxury, so that's why I would say these are two different players. We never saw a span of Robbie Fabry's career like we've seen never. from uh, Jordan Cairo over his last 70, 85 games. In Jordan Cairo's last 85 games, so this is since the start of last season, he has 26 goals, 41 assists, 67 points, and he's a plus seven on the ice. We never saw a stretch like that out of Robbie Fabry. He was good, and then also... The problem with Fabry is he just got hurt. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, the two ACL surgeries that he had to have, it basically ruined his career here. And it, it sapped a lot of the the dynamic ability that he had as a, as a player. If, obviously, knock on wood, this is part of the conversation that we're having here is that you can lock it in and there aren't those injuries for Kairou the way that they were for Fabry. But I just don't think that that's a fair comp for what we're watching right now. With, Top line with for the Kyrou. future, boys. Kairou Thomas and Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, you sign me up. Imagine how dangerous that team would be. It'd be very good. I mean, we're already seeing two of those three, yeah. and you add in another 25, 24-year-old player. Yeah, I, I mean, everybody would sign up for that in a heartbeat. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, I don't like talking about Major League Baseball's lockout. We got to talk about it because there was an update yesterday. And Rob Manfred, what are we doing, buddy? This might be his most pop- unpopular move yet, Alex. And my goodness, he's had some unpopular moves. So we'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, some NFL rapid reactions coming off of week 17. We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I was wrong. We did previously have a plan to talk about the Major League Baseball lockout at 1230. But we are not going to be doing that. We're going to be talking with Rick Tockett, the former NHL player and coach with the uh, Arizona Coyotes most recently. He's going to join us coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Rick Tockett is joining the show at 1230. But right now, let's dive into some NFL rapid reactions coming off of week 17. Alex, last night, I got to say it was a pretty cool scene in Pittsburgh. Big Ben, final home game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. From a pure on-field perspective, we don't got to talk about any of the off-field stuff here, but I do think that's part of his legacy. From a pure on-field perspective, how are you going to remember Ben Roethlisberger's career with the Steelers? Boy. This is tough uh, because, I mean, he's, he's a Super Bowl champion. But two-time Super Bowl champion, he led the league in passing yards twice. He was... Now, how many MVPs did he win? No MVP, six-time Pro Bowler. Wow. I think you're going to view a guy who had all of the potential in the world, but just never had 
the success that he could have had. And I don't know if you're going to blame that on the people around him because really, I I mean, I don't know. Am I insane here? Like the Super Bowls that I remember of Big, Big Ben, Jerome Bettis. And then the other one, I remember defense winning that Super Bowl. His second Super Bowl, like I thought say, he was a he big awesome part of. I don't remember yeah. that one as much, maybe. I, I don't know. Like I said, I I just don't view him as I view guys like Peyton Manning, guys like Tom Brady, as Aaron Rodgers. And I don't know why, because he's got the Super Bowls. He doesn't have the MVPs, but I don't think that really matters. The Super Bowls are more important. So maybe I'm out on an island here. I'm not sure how I'm going to remember him. I think I'm going to remember him as just a quarterback that was just a tier below Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, but he was able to win Super Bowls. I mean, if he doesn't win Super Bowls, you're talking about him like you talk about Phillip Rivers. I mean, they, to me, they're kind of the same guys. Big Ben, I remember him as being that guy that you just couldn't take down in the pocket. In his prime, I mean, he just would not go down. It was impossible to get him get a sack on Ben Rosselsberger, but I think he's going to be considered a great quarterback. I, I don't know if he's like a top like 20 all-time. He's a Hall of Famer, right? He's a Hall oh, of Famer. Absolutely. Yeah. But he's going to be considered one of the great quarterbacks. I mean, one of the best in Pittsburgh Steelers franchise history. I mean, I, I'm going to remember him pretty fondly for his football career. Yeah, I I think he gets overshadowed. I do think you've got a good point there, Alex, with Peyton, Brady, Rodgers. Did you throw Breeze ahead of him? And Breeze statistically, with those four guys, I do think he gets a little overshadowed because... I'm not sure there was ever a point in Ben Roethlisberger's career in which you would leave a season saying that guy was a top three quarterback in the league. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he was consistently a top 10 guy and a few times probably top five. I'm not sure there was ever an individual season in which you would have left saying he was top three. Someone, and I, I, I think that's part of the legacy for him. Someone texted, and I think this is perfect. Big Ben, best quarter in the wrong era. Best quarterback in the wrong era. I think Ben Roethlisberger in the 70s or 80s would have been unbelievable. Hall, yeah, exactly. Um, and he's still a Hall of Famer. The dude won a couple of Super Bowls, but they were early in his career. I do find it crazy that Ben, Brown, and Bell never won a Super Bowl. Those three together, the, the fact well, that they were together with a we really good offensive line. Well, sure. But, I mean, that's... I don't think Le'Veon Bell will get into the Hall of Fame, no. and I certainly don't think now you're going to see Antonio Brown getting in, even though I do believe for his on-field production he's deserving. I, I'm. It's kind of wild that those three never were able to get to, the, to win yeah. a Super Bowl. Uh, next thing up, coming off of this weekend, biggest game of the weekend in my mind was Bengals versus Chiefs. And my goodness, did Joe Burrow assert himself well. Over the last two weeks, he has thrown for nearly 1,000 passing yards, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, with two huge wins to be able to secure the AFC North for the Cincinnati Bengals. Alex, did you leave that game between the Chiefs and the Bengals more optimistic about Cincinnati or pessimistic about Kansas City? Optimistic about Cincinnati. I mean, that was a, that was a shootout, and it was ex- it was everything I expected it to be. But I think you're looking at the emergence of one of the dynamic duos in the National Football League. Like for the longest time, it was Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. Um, You know, you got Rodgers and Adams. I'm putting Burrow and I'm putting Jamar Chase up there. And that's not even bringing into the conversation of having Boyd and Higgins on that team. So I'm very optimistic for Cincy. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I think they're just as much of a Super Bowl contender as the other four top teams in the AFC. 
yeah, I, I'm more optimistic on Cincinnati. I, I said last week, you know, if they won that game in a shootout, I don't know if I'd be that impressed. The defense held Kansas City three points in the second half. So yeah, yep. I, I'm very impressed and very optimistic with what Cincinnati can do. Still don't think they can get to the Super Bowl, but definitely a team to keep an eye on in the playoffs. Yeah, I think they have a chance. I think right now, if you told me going into the postseason, ABK, you can bet on, uh, you, you can take three teams versus the field in the AFC. I think I would take the Titans, Chiefs, and Bengals right now. Those would be my three horses that I would be placing a bet on to potentially get to the a- the Super Bowl out of the AFC. I am more optimistic about Cincinnati than I am pes- pessimistic about Kansas City. We'll have more on the NFL Week 17 as we continue along here on BK and Ferrario with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. The Junk Drawer coming up in 15 minutes. But next, former NHL player, current analyst over on TNT, Rick Tockett is going to join the show to give us his thoughts on the Blues performance in the Winter Classic. And when you've got a player like Jordan Cairo that is going through such a breakout season how do you make sure you continue to get the best out of him? We'll talk to Rick Talkett about that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie, hope, hoping to be joined by Rick Talk, a former NHL player and coach momentarily. Alex, what do you want to learn from the former coach of the Arizona Coyotes? Well, he was on the um, uh, the, the pre and post game panel with Wayne Gretzky and Paul Bissonette and Anson Carter, which has been so much fun to watch this season. TNT's coverage has been great it's so been far. It's been phenomenal. So I'm really curious to find out just his thoughts of that team's play and winning in that Winter Classic and the environment. But more importantly, I mean, look, he was the head coach for Arizona for the last few seasons, and he had a dynamic young player in Clayton Keller. We all know the St. Louis native. He has seen that dynamic play. What is he seeing from Jordan Cairo? And not just Cairo, but Thomas, the depth of this offense, because he's played on some really good teams when he was a player in the National Hockey League. Through the 80s and 90s, he was a part of the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that was always dangerous to play against. So when it comes to watching a team and seeing them grow towards being a Stanley Cup contender, what are the elements that you're looking for and how much of that is on this Blues roster currently? He was also the coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, in 2010. So he got to see a a few of the guys that ended up becoming special players for them at the front end of their career. So I'd I'd definitely be curious to, to hear what his perspective is on Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo in particular. And Alex, I think that's probably the big conversation that a lot of Blues fans are having today is man, the depth of these forward lines. They, they were out at morning skate earlier today and you had Saad O'Reilly Perron continuing to be your top line. Kairou Thomas Tarasenko is your second line. And then you have Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Shin as your third line right now. Alex, there are teams around the NHL today, probably what, five to ten, where that would be your top line and you'd be like, ah, man, I kind of feel good about this. I would say half a league. <laughs> I mean, that is your third line as of today. Ivan Barbashev has 27 points in 32 games, and he is your third line centerman. Pavel Buchnevich is literally a point per game producer on the season, 30 points in 30 games. That is your third line left winger right now. It's it's pretty wild what they have in terms of the depth of their forward lines. Uh, there are what maybe three other teams that can say they, even approaching what the Blues have right now. I mean, now that they're healthy, this is it's wild to look at what they could have. We were talking about this in the office earlier before the show. And legitimately, you have seven players on this roster that can be 30 goal scorers. 
And I don't know how many teams in the National Hockey League can say that. And that's why when you put two teams together, when you compare one team that was a Stanley Cup champion and another team that was not yet, hopefully they can get there, you talk about the offense and the ability. This team has what the Edmonton Oilers have in terms of they can beat you offensively. But what Edmonton doesn't have, and the Blues do, is defense and goaltending. And I think with those three things combined, with a special teams play, a power play that has been dominating, a penalty kill that is tops in the National Hockey League, I don't know how many teams can sit there and say, eh, I don't know if I'm believing in this Blues team yet. So last year at the very end of the season, Doug Armstrong had his annual end-of-year press conference. And he made a comment that has stuck with me ever since. And he was talking about comparing the way that the Blues have constructed their roster with teams like the Penguins or uh, the Capitals. And specifically, this was coming off of the Avalanche playoff series. So he was comparing them to Colorado. And here's what he had to say. I do think this is very interesting now as we're looking at what the Blues have compared to some of their central foes. The way that we have to be good is, uh, as I said, team and pack mentality, and and, uh, we'll have to assess how we can get better under that format. We we don't have an answer internally for McKinnon or or McDavid or Crosby or Ovechkin. These guys are our number one overall picks or top picks. And the way that we have to build our team and the way we have to continue to do it is by by believing in each other, supporting each other, and understanding that uh, individually we're, we can't get it done. We have to do it as a group. Alex, I kept thinking about that quote as I was watching the game on Saturday. Because I was thinking to myself, yes, the Blues are absolutely winning with a pack mentality right now. They have the depth of the forward lines. You look at their defensemen, and if Nico Mikola is real, you feel pretty good about the depth back there. They've got three legitimate goaltenders right now that you feel confident in. This is as deep as any team in the league. And also, on top of having that pack mentality that they knew that they needed to win with, they also have the superstars. Like you look at what Robert Thomas has done so far this season, when he's been healthy, he's been right at a point-per-game producer. When you've had uh, Jordan Cairo on the ice, he's been a point-per-game producer. Vladimir Tarasenko is back to the Vladdy of old, the, the vintage superstar type of performer. That line, you can put them up against any line in the NHL right now, and I would at least be willing to listen to the argument of what the Blues have on their line compared to what you're going to put up on the other side. There's that that versus thing where you've got two artists that are going up head to head online right now. The versus for the Blues line versus whatever else you want to put up against them. Man, you could do it with anybody right now. And that is the difference this year. In the past, they've had really good depth. But I would say none of those top lines that you could put up against the best of the best. This year, they absolutely have that. Yeah, and you know, I think the the level of play for the Blues or the, the style of play for the Blues in terms of they don't need a superstar. They have a bunch of players who play together, and that's the system. That works. But it's a bonus if you have superstars on that roster. And I, I don't think having a Jordan Cairo or a Robert Thomas or a Vladimir Tarasenko, it doesn't change anything because of the coaching staff you have in place. Craig Berube doesn't care what you do, how you do it, as long as you work on the ice. And we've seen that. We've seen the buy-in. And I think it started with the guys coming up from Springfield, where you have players coming in and playing the system. The other guys look at it and say, okay, well, if I want to stay in the lineup, I got to play like this. Logan Brown is a perfect example. If I want to stay in the lineup, I got to play this way. And look, he is on this roster right now. So having the superstars isn't going to change anything. But what it does is it gives you an advantage against other teams. 
because, and I think we saw a perfect example of it in the Winter Classic. The best part about this Blues team is there's no ability to game plan on shutting down the offense. Because if you're a team, if you're Dean Evitson, and we saw in Saturday's game against the Minnesota Wild, and you're in the locker room before the game, and you're like, okay, we need to shut down Thomas Cairo and Tarasenko. That is the only expectation we have in this game tonight. Guess what? Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, and Brandon Saad, they're going to make you pay. So will Buchnevich, Barbashev, and Braden Shen. Oh, and if you're going to shut them down, we got a third, a fourth line in Oscar Sundquist and Tyler Bozek, who both were impact players in the playoffs, on top of having an 11th overall draft pick in Logan Brown. There's no ability to shut down this offense. That's an advantage for the Blues. Their only downside is finding a way to shut down the opposition. But since the end of November, they've done that on a nightly basis. So this is a dangerous team, and I think you're seeing all of that come to fruition because of the depth that they have put together. And now with a healthy roster, it just comes down to staying healthy. I do love as well, and I, I'm I'm interested to see what the identity becomes of that third line, but those lines are all very different. And yep. the way that they go about their business, like O'Reilly Perron saw it as a very workmanlike top line. And defensively, they are all very responsible. And you know they're going to cycle the puck in the offensive zone. Like they, they go about everything very differently than that Kairou Thomas Tarasenko line. You have to be terrified at all times if that line is on the ice, if you're the opposition, because literally from their own zone, they could do a stretch pass and boom, they're off to the races and you're screwed. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. That Brown Bozak sunny line is sunny and Brown, super physical and Bozak really good defensively. I am. I'm fascinated to see what that line becomes of Buchnevich, Barbashev and Shin, because we know Barbie and Buchnevich have very good chemistry already from what they were doing on the Russian line. Now you throw Shin in there, and if he is healthy, we've seen in the past, there have been at times less production with him out on the wing, which is where he's at right now. If he's healthy, though, I mean, he could fit in perfectly with those guys. Buchnevich is a really good playmaker. It's probably the thing that surprised me the most about his game so far this year, Alex. And with Shin going to the front of the net, you could see those guys becoming best friends very quickly if that ends up working Well, remember at the beginning of the season, your line was Kairou, Buchnevich, and Shen. Mm -hmm. And... They were a very good line together when they were playing. Shen was at the center position. The other thing about this group, and you're right with this one, is the interchangeability of the players on each line. Like, think about this. Two of your four lines, three of your four lines, the centers can play the wing. I mean, Barbashev has been a goal scorer this season on the wing. So can Braden Shen. Shen's might not be to the level, but hopefully they can get that out of him. Sunquist and Bozak, those two are very good centers for you. And then your best line, Kairou, Thomas, and Tarasenko. Kairou can play center just as much as Robert Thomas can play center. The interchangeability of like, okay, well, this isn't working here. Let's flip them to this side and see what happens. That's why I'm looking at that line you just mentioned more than anything. Barbie, Buchnevich. Because if you can't get Shen going on that, guess what? You flip Buchnevich to the right side. Barbie can play the left side and Shen's in the center position. And it's going to be just as dangerous as it was with Shen on the wing and Buchnevich on the left side. Yeah, that's it's going to be interesting to watch. And they just have so much depth right now. There are no wrong answers. Yeah, I think that's part of like we've always talked in the past about anything that 
Baruby touches turns to gold. Well, anything he touches turns to gold right now because the players are out mm-hmm. there. It's, it's like being the manager of the early 2000s Yankees. Like, okay, where am I going to hit this future Hall of Famer? Well, somewhere in the top of the lineup. <laughs> like one through five, you're probably going to be making a pretty good decision there. And that's how it feels right now with the Blues is just figure it out, mix them up. And if you find at least a couple of pairings that make sense with their chemistry, uh, you're going to feel pretty good about where they're, they end up. Final thing on this, Alex. You mentioned that with those superstars, it doesn't change a whole lot in terms of the way that the team is playing. And I totally agree with that. They they have bought into the system, it seems pretty clear at this point, with what Craig Berube is trying to get them to all do. The one thing that I do think it changes a little bit is your roster construction moving forward. And that's why these next two seasons, the, the last two years, really, of this five-year window that we've been told so much about from Doug Armstrong, it's why they're so significant Because if Kairou and Thomas continue this ascent, if this is real, those guys are going to get way more expensive, quicker than any of us expected them to be. And within the next probably three or four years, you're going to be looking at seven, eight plus million dollar players on your top line. And that does change a little bit about the way that they are going to be constructed because you already have big-time money uh, distributed to guys like Shin, Buchnevich, and Saad. So it, it it will change, but it's not for another few years before we see that kind of construction changing. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how Doug... And look, Doug Armstrong has been a pro's pro, a magician with this all season long. I mean, to be able to lock up Vladimir Tarasenko at $7.5 million at the age that he did, I mean, that's a steal of a deal from what we've seen in his career. Those two guys are RFAs after next season. Mm -hmm. So you got this year and then next year, and then they're RFAs. So they're your control. And at 22 and 23 years old, you're right. They're going to get expensive, but this is also the, it's also kind of a bridge contract because it's leading you into unrestricted free agency. And there's two ways you can go. Do these guys see themselves as future pieces for the St. Louis blues? Because then you're probably going to sign a deal like Jaden Schwartz did or like Alex Petrangelo did, where maybe it's a four years, $20 million contract. Or do they go the Matthew Kachuk route? The Matthew Kachuk route of, hey, I want to hit unrestricted free agency as soon as possible, so I'm going to sign a one-year deal for the RFA, and then guess what? I'm going into UFA status. That's going to be the interesting part where Doug Armstrong comes with this one, but it also makes guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, you might need to be moving on from that sooner rather than later so you can lock these two guys up. And it really brings into question the future of Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron on this team. Yeah, because that's your top line. Yeah. Th- those two guys that we've we've talked for years now your about future. what the pairing is on your top line with O'Reilly and Perron. The future pairing on that top line, if this continues, big if there, is Robert Thomas and Jordan Kyra. Th- those become the internal replacements on the top line, not necessarily uh, meaning that you cannot bring back either David Perron or O'Reilly, but it would probably have to be in a lesser role and likely with lesser cost. Those two guys, Thomas and Cairo, end up being your top line, and then we'll we'll see wh- how things filter out from there. But uh, the next couple of years, while you have this available to you, I mean, this we've talked about how deep they are. Alex, that ain't changing no. this offseason. You have the potential. The only guys that are UFAs or RFA, RFAs up front are David Perron, Tyler Bozak, Logan Brown is an RFA, and it's the first time that he's been that, so he's not going to be terribly expensive for you. Man, that's it. James Neal and Dakota Joshua. You're not bringing Neal back. Dakota Joshua's not going to be really getting a cheap. whole lot of money. I you You basically bring back the whole crew. Uh, this is going to be a two-year window where 
the Blues can do a heck of a lot of winning, just like they did at the front end of this window. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk about all of this with Jeremy Rutherford coming up in about 10 minutes. But next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Rick Tockett, former NHL player and NHL coach. He is now on TNT's NHL coverage. We'll be joined by Jeremy Rutherford in studio coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. Rick, we appreciate you hopping on the show today. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Happy New Year to you. What'd you think of the Winter Classic on Saturday night? Yeah, I appreciate you guys, too. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it was a blast. Um, you know, we were kind of disappointed that the crew, we couldn't be on site with Panger and the boys. But, um, you know, it was uh, a very enjoyable game to watch. I mean, uh, the conditions were obviously very tough. And I thought both teams and the and the and both organizations did a tremendous job. Rick, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated with what you guys have done this season on TNT. I mean, how much enjoyment are you having on this panel with Wayne Gretzky with Anson Carter with Paul Bissonette I mean it just it feels like you're bringing in an entirely different crowd on the pre and post games yeah I think like uh when I was you know uh, I tried out for the the position talking to the uh producers talking to the you know the head guys there they really wanted to they you know they, they want it's fun they just didn't want a pure hockey show they wanted different perspectives, be able to tackle some issues that, you know, that people wanted to shy away for it, but also have fun with the players, whether it's interviews uh, or coaches or whatever. And it, it was just music to my ears. It just, it was something I wanted to be part of, like the, their philosophy. And, and uh, you know, like, things are going good with us. Uh, you know, a lot of people are getting really good feedback. We're trying to learn from uh, what the fans want. Uh, so it's been, it's been a blast, to be honest with you. Rick, I know you have a good relationship with Craig Berube, formerly uh, teammates in the NHL with one another. You've known the guy for 30 years now. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Craig Berube, the person? We, we see a lot of him as the coach, and of course he's an intense coach out there, but tell us a little bit about the, the person that you know uh, behind the bench. Yeah, he's one of my best friends. I mean, I talked to him two, three times a week. Um He's just an enjoyable guy to be around. Um, you know, he's got that tough exterior that everybody thinks, but, you know, and I'm sure the players, will, you know, I've heard some players say he's a great communicator. Uh, he And his hockey knowledge is better than people think. Um, you know, he put a great staff together. I know with him and Doug Armstrong, um, I really enjoy talking to him. I love to watch the St. Louis Blues team. I think they're built for the playoffs. And he's the type of personality that whether it gets rocky or things are high, He's a, he's a really even keel guy. Even during that, when they went, you know, that time when they were in last place, I, I still tell the story today. And I went for beers with chief and Mike Van Ryan and Otter. Um, and they were in last place. We actually, I was coaching Arizona. We beat them, I think six, nothing. It was like, and I remember we were having drinks and he said to me, you know, he didn't say much. We we're just talking. I was talking to Otter and those guys. And he said, Hey, I just got to get these guys to believe. And everybody's got a puzzle, be part of a puzzle. 
And I remember the next day they won, and they went on that roll, and they won the Stanley Cup. So uh, I didn't see a lot of panic in them for a guy that was in last place. You know, Rick, I'm fascinated with Craig Berube. He This season, he, he wins his 200th game as a head coach, and he's only the seventh player in NHL history to play over 1,000 games in the NHL and win 200 games. And you're 22 victories away as a head coach away from that. What is it about Craig Berube's coaching style that makes him so effective with his team? Well, I think it's because if you ask any player that played with him, any of his teammates for wherever stop he was, Philly, Calgary, Washington, if you said Craig Berube, they said, what a great teammate. And I think he takes that in his coaching philosophy. He tries to communicate with players that, you know, that if you can be a great teammate, um, you know, everybody wants their piece of the pie. Everybody wants their minutes and, you know, their, their day in the sun. But at the end of the day, you got to be a great teammate. And I think players relate to that. Um, and they enjoy that. So I think that's really what it comes down to. His coaching style is really being a great teammate. Uh, so that's why he's such a great coach. It's interesting, Rick, because you look at the team that they've assembled this year and you specifically look at the forwards. This is as deep as the Blues have been and as long as I can remember. You look at their third line right now and they've got Pavel Buchnevich, Ivan Barbashev, and Braden Chin, all of whom, if they were on a first line somewhere else, it wouldn't be surprising to anybody. As a coach, when you have a situation like this, which is obviously a good thing, you've got players that are overqualified for their roles, how difficult can that be, though, to talk to some guys who uh, might be looking at their time on the ice and they're saying, man, why did I play 15 minutes tonight when elsewhere I could get 18 to 20? What are those conversations like as a head coach? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that's something that coaches always tackle with, right? You you know, they, they, they have three, four good, really good lines, and some nights, you know, that line you just said, Buchnevich, Shen, um, that, that line could be 1A some nights. And I think really what it comes down to communication. I know I've talked to Chief about that, and we've talked about that. And, uh, you know, maybe a guy's upset. He, you know, maybe he's not in the first unit of the power play. And I think Chief went through that two, three years ago um, and got bought in. Maybe last year kind of slipped a bit. They had injuries and stuff. But I think they're back on the same page, and I think Chief's a big communicator for that. Um, but it's a nice problem to have. I mean, when you get that kind of forward group, and um, and there's not very many weaknesses up top there uh, uh, on the forward unit. Uh, you could just see that Minnesota game. Minnesota's a really good team. I know they had a couple of injuries, but you know, there's the two. The first, first two periods, I was really impressed with the Blues. Uh, they they gave Minnesota nothing, and I think because the Chief ran four lines, and everybody was contributing their own way. I got to ask you about the one player that everyone was talking about, Rick, after that Winter Classic game, and it's Jordan Cairo. He was named the NHL's first star of the week. He has four points in that game. You've seen some excellent young talent in the National Hockey League, but when you look at Jordan Cairo, what comes to mind? Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned his name. He's going to be a feature on us tomorrow night. We'll probably be interviewing him. Well-deserved. Um, for me, is his patience with a puck you know, with the improvement I've seen, I remember watching him in the bubble, and there were some good signs there uh, in the bubble a couple of years ago. Um, what I see now, when he comes out of the corner, he's coming up. He's first of all, he's coming up with loose pucks, and now he's got the patience of buying time, being able to find his teammates or taking the puck to the net. That's the biggest thing for me. When when young players who have are talented, they come from junior, they got a lot of points. You know, they're used to you know having a lot of time and space. Now he's not a surprise, but he's still finding that that open space he's still finding his teammates and the patience he's not getting rid of the puck how many times is he you know you figure he's got the puck he's getting to the blue line where most guys will dump it in and he holds it a little bit second longer gains the blue line and then makes a play 
that's huge in the NHL if you if you got that kind of talent. So to me, it's just patience with the puck. Rick, what's the next step? For guys like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, they've obviously taken that next step this season in their career of uh, both of them are, are close to point per game producers so far this year. What's next for them? Is, is there an even higher ceiling than what we're watching right now? Yeah, I think there is. I think there's the consistency level. Can you bring it mostly every night? Can you? And then obviously when, you know, the big tests here and the, the big games are coming up here, you know, in April and, and, and May is, is can you go into Vegas and, and uh, game one and two and play a, a consistent, you know, maybe they're shutting you down. And it's a tough game, but can you stay with it? You know, uh, can you still contribute in other ways? You know, sometimes young guys get frustrated and, and they, they start to lack in other areas. You know, they start to, you know, they're not good defensively or, you know, they give up the puck the wrong time. I think that's the next step is can they stay with it and the consistency, you know, you're going to get the same, regardless of what the other team's thrown at you, you're going to get the same, level play from these guys um and so far they've they passed the bill i mean the test this year the both those guys are huge contributors they bring that youth to the st louis blues um and you can tell the veterans are, are feeding off those two guys for sure rick final one from me uh, i think for the longest time this season the blues were looked at on the national stage as like a dark horse a team that you know could make a run but right now they just didn't have the pieces in place do you feel like that that game on Saturday against Minnesota put them over the hump of a team that people should be talking more about in the Central and in the NHL? Well, I think that in the last three weeks they've had some injuries. You know, the COVID hit. There's been some, you know, a little bit of um, you know adversity has hit this team, and and they brought some guys up that have done a nice job. So I think these last three weeks, if you don't believe in the St. Louis Blues, then you haven't been watching hockey. Um, last game after the telecast, we. You know, I, I, you would not be surprised if they're in the finals. Like, they, I, I, they're one of my preseason picks to get to the finals. There's about three other teams because of their build. I think Doug Armstrong is a terrific GM, and he's come up with some really good trades, and he's very patient. Um, and I still think he's got something up his sleeve. I think maybe a defenseman at a trade deadline is something that they might look at. I'm not quite sure. But uh, they're definitely built for a seven-game series against anybody in the league. Rick, we'll get you out of here on this one. And thanks so much for your time today. We sincerely appreciate it. Are there any names that immediately come to mind when you say that maybe they look at a defenseman at the trade deadline? Is, is there anybody that you think maybe they could be looking at that would make sense here in St. Louis? Well, I mean, I don't know exact names because, you know, there's some teams still in it and uh, there's still a lot of hockey, a lot of runway. Um, but, you know, you know, you, you all, I'm just a big believer. In, you know, and I, I thought the defense corps was terrific. I thought Mike Van Rens did a hell of a job with that uh, defense corps. They played great last game. You know, there's just so many injuries. There's so many variables going into the trade deadline. Um, but, you know, with Doug, I know when you're close, he'll be looking for that guy that uh, can, just in case there's some injuries or if there's a hype, you know, there's a guy out there, there's a named guy, he's not afraid to pull a trigger. So I don't, listen, there's, I got a bunch of guys in my head, but uh, <laughs> there's so much, there's so much, there's so much runway to the, to that situation that they're fine right now. He's Rick Tockett, former NHL player and head coach. He's now on TNT's NHL coverage. They've been excellent so far yeah. this year. If you haven't checked it out yet, uh, be sure to do so. You'll see uh, Blues versus Penguins tomorrow. You'll hear that game right here on 101 ESPN. And, of course, you'll be able to see, if I'm not mistaken, you said there's going to be a feature on Jordan Cairo pregame for that one? Yeah, we'll be interviewing him. Uh, we, I just got a call from the producer today, and, you know, he's he's – he deservedly should be the guy we'd be talking to. We actually tried to talk to Chief after the game, and 
you know, I think if we if the St. Louis Blues win, I think we're going to try to get cheap again because there was a, 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 a some kind of microphone malfunction. So those are the two guys we hope, and we hope the Blues. Well, you want the Blues to win because that means uh, we get to talk to Chiefs, which <laughs> that, is great. That's Thank fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, Rick Taka joining us here on 101 ESPN. Rick, thanks so much for the time, man. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. I appreciate it. Great questions. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Absolutely. Rick. Same to you. That is uh, Rick Tockett joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, you'll be able to watch Blues versus Penguins tomorrow on TNT. You'll hear that game right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Puck drop tomorrow at 630. I quoted the tweet. I'm so excited. If you're if you're not believing in this team, then you're not watching the games. And I don't know if you could have said it any better than what he just said right there. Yeah, it's simple. Like, the, I... I I don't understand. I think it is free money right now that the Blues are 24 to 1 on FanDuel Sportsbook to win the Stanley Cup. Oh, 24 to 1, even despite what we saw on Saturday night and this team finally getting healthy, it it's free money right now. It that those odds are are off. They're they're wrong. Like they're just flat out wrong. And I say that as BK the hockey guy. Well, that's just not true. And I'm laying that bet round right now, but it's over on DraftKings. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll do a game of bet it or forget it. But next, Jeremy Rutherford joins us in studio, our Blues insider. I want to get his thoughts. How many wingers out there would he take right now over the next five years over Jordan Cairo? We'll ask Chair that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and we are joined in studio by the Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. He is Jeremy Rutherford. JR, what's good, man? Not too much. Just uh, leaving Centene and was going to call you guys up on the phone and do my hit, and I thought, wait a minute, the studio's 10 minutes away. Sounds like these boys are having fun. I want to stop in there, and then I... Find out you got some Emo's pizza sitting over here. Yeah, yeah. which is really what got Jr. in studio. Okay, Let's so the totally truth comes honest. out. You got you out. could smell it, couldn't you, from Centene? <laughs> yeah, there's pizza and I, I think spaghetti yeah, over there as well. It's so. National Spaghetti Day. Did you know this? I I was unaware. My Italian heritage did not. Oh, uh, I didn't have the spidey senses about the uh, spaghetti day. Oh, yeah, we're gonna put a, put a post out in a little bit because BK is now a fan of Emo's. I plain and simple. They got spaghetti. They got mustacholi. They got garlic bread. Watch out now, ladies and gentlemen. I had it about a month ago, and I thought it was good. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there you go. There it is. I, uh, I will be totally Finally, a St. Louis. Yeah, I, I have officially adopted this as my hometown. All right, JR, let's talk about the Blues. Speaking yep. of adopting uh, St. Louis, they're my team, and they've been outstanding of late. And Saturday night, they looked incredible. And now you go out to practice earlier today. You posted out the rush lines. Shin, Barbie, and Buchnevich is now your third line. JR, there are teams in the NHL that would be totally happy if that was their top line. Can you just describe to me, to listeners, how deep this forward depth is at this point? Yeah, this is this is crazy. And we've seen this group of 12 one time, but that was, what, November 24th against uh, Detroit Blues lose that game. Uh, but then shortly after that, they had uh, another run of, what, COVID injuries, so on and so forth. So it looks like against Pittsburgh tomorrow night, which, by the way, playing very well, the Blues will have all 12, 12 healthy forwards Jeez. back. And, guys, listen, i got to do a little brag. Can I pat myself on the back? Yeah, can please. I reach, can I reach you my can reach back it. here? Well, you're I so was... swole right now. It's hard <laughs> was... not to. No, so I can only say this because there are so many times where I guess at these lines and get them wrong. 
you know, well, put it in print. We got 100 yeah, percent on the lines the, today. The line, yeah. not to brag. Yeah, same here. So I'm I'm <laughs> sitting there thinking last night, what are these lines going to look like? He's not going to mess with the Thomas line. He's not going to mess with the O'Reilly line. You know, Shen coming back from injury probably put him on the left side. Barbashev loves to play in the middle. Booch on the right. And then I figured Brown would be in there instead of Costin. Right. We, we like the way that Brown's playing. Um, so 12 for 12. You guys got him right too. Yeah, 100. Wow. Well, maybe then it wasn't as good. We as We even got Shen on the wing and Barbie in the middle. Check so you guys not, not out. To brag or anything like this. That's awesome. So on, go ahead, Jared. They look great. So on top of that, you know, we were having this conversation about Jordan Cairo and what is it, BK? He's on pace for 80 points the first time since Pavel Demetra for this Blues team. Yep. What are we seeing from this right now, Jerry? You've been covering this team since the early 2000s. I mean, you saw Pavel Demetra play for this Blues team. You've been a fan for the Blues during the Brett Hall era. I mean, are we starting to see, it's hard to say he's in the next Brett Hall, but in terms of the excitement, it seems like it's there. Yeah, the excitement matches, I think, especially you know early on with Brett when he started to score some goals. Obviously, two completely different players, and Cairo a different player than Demetra, too. You know, Cairo just brings so much to the table. It's hard for me to think about, we're just talking two years ago, where we were wondering, would Jordan Cairo make it? Like, if you looked at his shifts, you know, he was showed flashes of that speed, you know, didn't take the puck to the to the net as much, uh, didn't play defense. I mean, I looked up a ton of shifts where you just the guy was invisible defensively. That's what stood out to me about him. Sorry to cut you off there, Jr. But last year, early in the season, you could see it defensively, and I was like, that. Obviously, the offense is what's going to reach a ceiling for him. The defense is what's going to be able to keep him in the lineup. because yeah, he's on the bench late in games if he's defensive liability. Yeah, know? that was the case. And not a lot of ice time. And, and I remember them sending him back to San Antonio. Obviously, he wanted to stay here. Uh, but they said, just go down there and dominate. And I actually went down to a game down in San Antonio, watched the Rampage, and he dominated. The puck was on his stick the entire time. You know, it was obvious. I was sitting next to scouts. You know, there wasn't a better player on the ice than Jordan Cairo. And I think that extra time helped out. So he comes up here and you know I talked to Jordan Cairo for a Q&A probably a month or two ago and the one thing he said to me is I feel like one of the boys I don't feel like I'm just like this extra part who might be able to help out I fit in they're making me feel comfortable and I feel like I can be myself and, and that's what we're seeing from him I know when he was coming up there was talk about him as a, as a potential centerman and at first, the thing that you noticed early on was his shot, right? You could see, okay, this is this is a guy that's going to be able to create for himself. It's it's clear he's going to be a goal scorer. What's impressed me this year, Jr., is his ability to also make his teammates better. Like when he's out there on the ice, he's able to make everybody around him into a scoring threat as well because you've got to defend him. And sometimes it takes multiple guys to be able to do so, as we saw in the Winter Classic. And when that starts happening, that's how you end up like he is right now on pace for 50 assists in a season. I didn't know that we were going to see that version of Jordan Cairo, especially not this early on. Really impressive. And I think you touched on it earlier, Alex. Uh, you know, you talk about Cairo, Shen, Buchnevich earlier in the season. You can talk about Cairo playing with this guy, that guy. And it seems like every time you mention Cairo's name on a line with somebody, that line works. And it's because of what he's doing individually, but also as you touch on BK, you know, how he's making other players better. I'll tell you what, the one thing that sticks out the most to me about Jordan Cairo, and perhaps this is a reason why he's so effective with different players, is he's so patient with the puck. For a guy who is lightning fast, and a jet, and every time he gets the puck, he can take off. 
I'm equally as impressed with the way he holds on to it and waits and waits. And whether the shot's there or the pass is there, it's like you're standing still in time with him waiting to see what he's going to do. But the defenders know that he's got that burst. He can do it <laughs> in a second. So to me, it's that patience with the puck that's equally impressive. So, Jer, we had this conversation, and BK teased the question. And I know it's tough because you don't have all of the guys in the NHL off the top of your head. But if you were to have to pick wingers, that you would want on this team other than Jordan Cairo. How many guys come to mind for you? For the next five years. Because I think that's an important distinction. Like if if you, if I said, JR, don't worry about the cap hit, but we're talking about for the next five years, you can have player X, Y, or Z or Jordan Cairo. Are there, are there five, 10 guys maybe that you would take over Jordan Cairo when it comes to leaders right now? Yeah. Yeah, across all. all, And and before you answer that, I, I texted you guys this a couple days ago. I mean, Jordan Cairo right now, guys that he has more goals than in the National Hockey League. I mean, you're talking about Joe Pavelski. You're talking about Logan Couture, Max Pacioretty, Cam Atkinson, Brandon Saad. I mean, you're talking about a lot of these guys that he has more goals than that are top players in the NHL. Yeah, well, a lot of the top young players are centers. So if we're talking wingers, it's it's a little bit of a different conversation. Right. You know, the top goal scorers, a lot of them, you know, these Austin Matthews and, and Connor McDavis. So certainly, you know, if you're going to have a conversation, you'd start the franchise with those types of guys. But then when you talk about the wing, I think you can put him in a conversation with that group you're talking about, you know, the top five or ten. In terms of names, I'm actually going to break that down and, and get down to that in an athletic article in the next couple of days. Oh, nice. So try to have some more analysis for you on that. Uh, but I, th- I think you have to put him in the conversation. And here's the thing, guys. We're not talking about 10 games. We're not talking about 20 games with Jordan Cairo. You know, I'm at the Winter Classic and all the media, Jordan Cairo, Jordan Cairo. <laughs> yeah, he's been doing this for a year and a half. Like, there has not been a dip in his play, especially offensively, in a year and a half. It may, may be a lull there where he... D- go a few games without a goal, but he's this is the guy he's been, and I think he's shown it for enough a period of time that you can bet this is the guy he's going to be. So with that being said, obviously the area that people still want to talk about, JR, is the defense with this Blues team, and I feel like personally they have just continued to improve every single game. I go back to the Oilers game, Pareko and Mikola pretty much eliminate the Connor McDavid and lightly on dry side of line. Are you starting to see that trend in the direction that you wanted to see in terms of being a legit cup contender? So I think it's trending in the right direction, and I think this group of six or seven, however you want to look at it, can help you contend for the cup. You know, I think you can definitely go a couple rounds with this group. I like what Mikel is doing with Pareko. I don't see how you couldn't. I like every time you watch the team and it's Falk and Krug playing together. That's definitely the, the pair that has the chemistry. You know, and then right now you have Marco Scandella in that third pair. Hey, it wasn't that long ago that he was in your top pair, right? So if he's in your third pair, you know, probably a little bit better for you. And then Perinovic has played well. Can this team win a Stanley Cup with this defense? I don't think you can sit here and say that the answer is yes. I really don't. As well as they've played, and if they have this group of forwards that's going to put up some goals and, and help with the back check, and Jordan Bennington you know, can be that elite goaltender, possibly. But I think once you start getting into that second, third, and final round, you know, can Mikula hold up? Can he be that guy? Can that third pair, whether it's Scandella, Bortuzzo, Perinovich, help you out, even if they're playing you know, 10, 12, 13 minutes, 
I don't know that we know that answer. I still think they probably need some help on defense. So where do you go for that? Because we've brought up the name Jacob Chikrin, who makes a lot of sense in terms of, okay, he's, he's on a team right now in Arizona that's not competing for anything meaningful. He is that left-handed defenseman that could come in and immediately pair with uh, Colton Pareko as your top pairing defenseman. He makes sense. He's also going to cost a lot in terms of prospects that you have to send out that way. So what are you talking about as a potential return for something like that? Is there other, are there other guys that you see out there as maybe being better fits given the return? Where, where do you where do you look? Well, I think you have to be picky, and I think you also have to keep in balance that you, you want to win right now, right? This isn't a move where you're trying to build for three or four years. You want to win right now. So Chikrin, to me, is a name that makes a lot of sense. There are some other guys out there, you know, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit more experience, maybe a little beef. Um, you know, are they going to come in as rentals and, and help you out? You know, potentially they can. But to me, Jacob Chikrin, a young guy, a guy who's proven himself already, a guy who's had a decent price right now, you know, but like you said, I, I think the return is going to be relatively costly. And, and is it a prospect? You know, is it uh, is it an established player? Obviously, you're not trading those off a cup contending team. You know, it depends what Arizona wants. But as we know with Bill Armstrong, the former Blues exec out there in Arizona, you know, he's trying to stockpile the assets, the draft picks, so on and so forth. So, you know, if, if there's a move to be made that, that Doug sees, you can bring in a Jacob Chikorin. By all means, I think that's a guy who could who Would you, you consider parting with a guy like Scott Perunovich if it meant getting a top-pairing defenseman in Chikorin? That's a good question. I really like Perunovich's future. You know, I like the way he plays. Um, but with Chikrin being, you know, young and somewhat established. And left-handed. You know, left-handed. You know, perhaps that's something that you consider. I, I'd hate to sit here and say, yeah, you make that deal because I really do like what Scott Perunovich brings. You know, that's that's a tough one to, for Doug Armstrong. Does that, and obviously we don't know because he's not a part of this deal, but to me, JR, if you were able to acquire Jacob Chikrin, that screams the acquisition of Jay Bomeister from years ago, doesn't it? Like you're looking for that top left-handed guy who's established, who can play with your top right-handed guy, Colton Pareko. Yeah, and, you know, when we're doing pairs here, you know, it, it's tough. Obviously, Chikrin more established than Nico Mikola, but I like what Nico's doing. Like if he can continue to trend that way, I like the physicality that he brings to that line uh, with uh, with that pair with uh, Pareko. So, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to say Mikula be your top guy and Chikorin be your second or third pair. Uh, I'm just trying to envision what it could look like. But, but yeah, you know, I, I think that he brings some sturdiness. He brings some consistency that we saw with Jay Bolmeister. Obviously, different ends of the spectrum of in terms of their careers. I texted you this the other night, JR. I want to bring it to the air because I, knew I think this it's would an interesting get to the conversation. <laughs> uh, by the way, Jeremy Rutherford in studio with us. If you haven't checked out his work over at The Athletic, you need to do so. It's outstanding. It's, it's as good as you'll find anywhere. And you can follow JR on Twitter as well, at JP Rutherford. We were talking about Jordan Kyrou. We just got to see him head-to-head against Kirill Kaprizov, who's one of the best young players in the NHL and just got a big contract from the Wild in the offseason. Would you rather have... Jordan Cairo or Kaprizov straight up forgetting about the money right now. Yeah. Um, and don't forget, you know, not to compare him to McDavid whatsoever, but the game before that, I mean, he's got seven points in his last two games against McDavid on, you know, the ice on the other Jared, side. This and, is and a Kaprizov. show of outlandish comps. I've <laughs> yeah, done him plenty by of all times. Means, please Throw come out there, big boy. Hey, for sure, I'm not putting him on McDavid's planet. Don't get me wrong there. But the, the answer is Kaprizov. You know, I don't want to ride the fence. You know, I talked to you in the text message. You know, I think you might have to consider that more than you would a few months ago, six months ago. I mean, Kaprizov is 
I don't want to say a generational player, but he's right there, I think, in that next tier. Um, you know, he's not a Sidney Crosby, he's not a McDavid, but he's in that next tier. He wins you games. We saw that last year, Blues in Minnesota, how many games did Kaprizov, you know, win him down the stretch. So I'm, I'm not trying to get away from the question. I'm not trying to get ahead of ourselves here in St. Louis about who Jordan Cairo is going to be in this league after five or six years. But to me, I don't see why there's any reason to hold back on the hype about Jordan Cairo. Is he Kaprizov? Will he be Kaprizov? I don't know. But I know he can be that player moving forward. Is he going to make Kaprizov money when he's due? <laughs> I don't think so. There's a difference. I know you said forget about the money, <laughs> but what's he making, $9 million? Yeah, well, that's why I asked, though, because, I mean, we talked about it. I mean, for the way that Kyrou's performing, and if he does hit 80 points this season, he's an RFA after next year. I mean, are we looking at a guy who's going to be willing to accept a four-year, $5 million per deal? Or are we looking at a guy who's going to say, no, pay me like Kaprizov just said, pay me? Yeah, I touched on that in an article where I, I projected the, the Blues roster moving forward a few years, what that could look like. And, you know, it was hard. I, I sat in my office and tried to say, okay, what do you do with Jordan Cairo? You know, I wasn't thinking 80 points at the time. You know, you're kind of thinking <laughs> well, of course, 65, sure. 60. Uh, but I think I said something along the lines of a couple-year deal at like $6 million per. But now I think the way he's playing, he probably isn't going to have the conversation as agent with Doug Armstrong unless they're talking about that longer term. 